Amen. You can have a seat. Kids, you are dismissed to your classes. Pastor Jeremiah, right here, down the middle. We've loved having you. Good morning. For those of you who are staying here in big church, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors of this church family, and it's a great privilege to be with you this morning. Um, Today we are continuing a series we've been in. We're walking through a few chapters in the book of Revelation, which is really a risk because, you know, it's an intense book. And we're specifically looking at seven letters that were written to the church of that day, but the number seven in Revelation actually is the number of completeness. And so most scholars think it's representative of God writing to the whole church like every church, everywhere, for all time. That this is a message, that these seven letters are sort of a message to all of us. And we're taking it that way, and we're asking, God, what do you want to say to us as your church here and now, as your people in this land, in this day? And so um, Revelation is about helping us see the big picture. The word revelation is actually the word apocalypsis, and it means to, to pull back the veil, to sort of pull the veil back from our eyes and to help us see the larger cosmic spiritual picture and then to align our priorities with something more than with what we so often just see in this world. Revelation is really a call to say, don't be short-sighted, church. Don't just look at what's right in front of your face because Revelation is apocalyptic literature, but it's actually something more than that. Um, Revelation sort of pulls back the veil to see the spiritual reality. Remember in Lord of the Rings when Frodo has the ring of power? This isn't the ring of power. This is the wedding ring, just so you're my wedding ring. Um, but remember when he has the ring of power and then in a few points he slips it on and it's like, And then he like sees this whole other world and these spiritual beings and these other realities. And he sees the evil of Mordor and the lidless eye of fire. You guys are starting to get worried, aren't you? Yeah, I'm that much of a Lord of the Rings nerd. Anyway, this is Revelation. It wants us to see these larger realities that are so often hidden from our sight. Um, but But Revelation is also prophetic. Listen to this. This is Revelation chapter 1. This is the intro of this book. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written. We tend to think of prophecy as pronouncements and predictions about the future. But friends, in the Bible, most prophets are not primarily future fortune tellers, like let me tell you what will happen in the next three weeks of it. No, not that. They are actually hard truth tellers. Prophecy is more often about getting a hard truth from God. Go back and read the Old Testament. Read the Old Testament prophets. Read Isaiah and Jeremiah and Amos and Ezekiel and Joel and Habakkuk, they are generally not saying like, here, let me tell you about the future. They're generally coming to speak hard truths to God's people. And then they say, and if you don't hear these hard truths and take them into account, then here's some bad stuff that's coming. That's how prophecy tends to work. So Revelation is a book about hard truths and challenge in light of the spiritual realities 
that we don't often see in our world. Friends, this is not a feel-good letter, and it's probably not a feel-good Sunday. It's probably not a feel-good seven weeks. In fact, if you leave church feeling too good today, I probably failed. So um, I'm going to add to your depression with the weather with this sermon in Revelation. Today's message is this. Far too easily, our lives can be corrupted. Our faith can be co-opted. Our church can be compromised by just one thing. There is one thing, according to this letter that we will read today, that God is incensed over, heartbroken by, deeply upset about. And so we're going to explore that today together. We're going to explore this, this severe and sobering warning, and we're going to do it by asking three questions. Three questions that our passage that this letter will answer. What is Jesus so upset about? He writes this letter. He's upset. What is he so upset about? Two, why does he care so much? Like, what's the big deal, really? And then three, what's the solution? Where do we find a solution to this impending problem? So let's dive in. Today, as you can see on the map, there it is. This is the path of the letter John writes this, this book, Revelation, this letter, and it gets passed from church to church to church. And there's a letter in the letter for each of these churches. Week one, we looked at Ephesus. Week two, Smyrna. Last week, Pergamum. Today, we have kind of rounded the curve, and we are looking at Thyatira, the letter to the church in Thyatira. And here's how Jesus opens the letter to Thyatira. It's a bit concerning. You would be concerned if you got this letter. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, this is Jesus speaking. These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Jesus always describes himself at the beginning of each of these seven letters, and each description is different, and each description has to do with the message he has for that particular church. And in this letter... The only time he describes himself as the Son of God. This is a reference to Jesus' divinity. It's from the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. This is Jesus kind of referencing his divine nature, his majesty and holiness and power. And of more concern is that his eyes are like blazing fire. This isn't like, church, my eyes are burning with love for you. <laughs> This is passionate judgment of flame in his eyes because he has laser vision to see what is really happening in this church. He is seeing past the veneer. He is seeing past their exterior, past the image that they have built for themselves. And he's looking deep into their lives and he doesn't like what he sees. We're told that he has feet that are burnished bronze. Do you guys know what burnished means? Does anyone know? I had to look it up this week. I was like, burnished? I'm like, Google dictionary, you know? It just means like polished and shiny. See, these shiny bronze feet. This is imagery for feet of purity that have come to stomp out the injustice and unrighteousness and an oppression of the world, but the, the oppression that's happening in this church, the unrighteousness in this place. Friends, this opening is a picture of like X-Men Jesus. 
This is Marvel Jesus. This is a Jesus who has come to deal with evil. And yet, even with that description of himself, here's how he starts. He says in verse 19 to the church, I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. That's a pretty good report for a church, right? I mean, I'm imagining Jesus like showing up at the church offices unannounced one Wednesday afternoon. I'm busy, but I'm going to clear my calendar for him. We go to the front conference room and sit down, and I'm like, hey, Jesus, how you doing? Eyes look a little red. Like, what's going on? And he's like, well, I got some things to say to you, Dave, about Cedar Mill Bible. And I'm like, all right, I'm a little nervous. And then he starts in. You know, you guys, you know, you're, you're loving, you're faithful, I see the way you're serving and the way you've persevered. You've made it through some really hard things and you're just doing a lot more out there in the world and for the kingdom than you did at first. I'd be like, that is a good, that's good news because I was a little nervous when I saw the gold Adidas. uh, We're more of a Nike church, but um, you know, I mean, that would be the response. So why does Jesus start with this good report about this church? Here's all the good things you're doing. Here's, I think, the message of this letter, friends. Be really wary of things on the surface looking good if deep on the inside there is a compromise of integrity. You can apply this to your life, to your family's life, to this church, to our nation, to our world. Be really wary of things on the surface looking good if deep on the inside there is a compromise of integrity. Because that's what's happening with the church in Thyatira. On the surface, they are doing all right. People are coming, they are gathering, they're being effective, they have some wonderful qualities, they're loving, they're faithful. Those are huge, right? But the greatest of these is love. Like, it is impossible to please God without faith. They are serving. They are persevering through difficult things. And yet, there is one ingredient in their midst that is spoiling it all. You know, it's almost Thanksgiving, which means like we're rounding the bend towards Christmas. Am I the only one here already looking forward to the Christmas cookies? My wife and daughter uh, make these truffles, these Oreo cookie truffles, where they like ground it up and there's cream cheese in there, I think, which is one of my favorite things in all the world. Thank you, God, for cream cheese. And they make these like truffles and they coat them with white chocolate or dark chocolate, sometimes peppermint sprinkles. And then they sit there, these little balls of heaven. And I just like take them and eat them by the handfuls, I and mean, I shouldn't do this, but they're just, they're just delightful, they're wonderful. And yet, what if this Christmas I went to eat one of the truffles, and just before I, I did, as I just stood there and just said, God, you're so good, I just worshiped God but through this truffle, right? And then Amy said, I put a new ingredient in the truffles this year. I said, oh, she's like, I wanted to add a little bit of a savory feel. So I mixed in some dog poop. <laughs> I'm like, did, did you say dog poop? Dog poop. Like, oh, huh. Yeah, not too much, she says. Like, and I'm smelling, like, I don't smell it. And she's like, yeah, just a little, just a little dog poop in there. I think I'd be like, you know what? I love these truffles, but I'm going to wait till later, right? <laughs> because why, friends? Even when there's a lot of really good stuff, it only 
takes a little bit of something toxic to ruin the whole recipe. This is what Jesus is so upset about. He writes to the church in Thyatira to say, there's poop in your truffles. (laughs) This is why he's fired up. I'm doing my best to make this a lighthearted sermon, even though it's really about judgment and condemnation. Here we go. Here's, here, now we're kind of getting into it. Here's what Jesus says. He's like, all these good things. Verse 20, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. So here we learn that there is a, a woman who is influencing this church. She is called here Jezebel. Is that her real name? Probably not. Most certainly not, actually. Almost certainly. She's not na- really literally named Jezebel. I mean, no one would name their child Jezebel in the same way you wouldn't name your son Voldemort. Right? Like, this is our son, Voldemort. Like, this is our little guy, Hannibal, middle name Lecter. He's going to be a winner, right? You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't, you wouldn't name your daughter Cruella. Like, she's an ambitious little sucker, loves dogs. Like, <laughs> you wouldn't name your kids those names. Why? Because those names mean something. They are attached to a story, particularly a story of evil. And the name Jezebel has a story. She's from the Old Testament. She was the wife of the seventh king of Israel, a guy named Ahab, and she led Ahab and others and the entire nation, really, away from following Yahweh, the one true God, and into the worship of all sorts of pagan gods. She was was deceitful and manipulative and ruthless and wicked, and this letter is telling us here that there is a woman in this church with similar qualities. There is a woman in this church who is leading God's people astray into lives of immorality. Now, I do want to pause here and make one thing very clear. The issue in this letter is not that a woman is in leadership or that a woman calls herself a prophet. In fact, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, God anoints and empowers women to be prophets. He empowers them to speak to his people on his behalf. That's what prophets do. They speak to God's people on God's behalf. And God says women can and should do this in both of the Testaments. And so we must not confuse the issues here because there is a sad reality that too often in our world and sometimes in the church, strong, mature, wise, decisive women can be seen as a threat particularly by weak men. And I say, not here. Ladies, hear me as your pastor. Here at Cedar Mill Bible Church, we need your voices. We need your perspectives. We need your gifts. And if you have the gift of prophecy or preaching or evangelism or administration or leadership and God is calling you, step forward, please, and use your gifts here because we need you. And just like there can be misguided and mismotivated men in leadership, there can also be misguided women who gain power and influence as well. And that, is, that was the case here at this church. 
See, Thyatira was a city of business. It was primarily known for its industry. Actually, the very first person we meet from Thyatira in the Bible is a woman named, anyone know? Lydia. Yeah, Acts chapter 16. Paul is in Philippi, down by the river. There's a woman there from Thyatira, a businesswoman who used to make purple clothing. And this is because one of the things Thyatira was known for was that it developed this, this purple dye used to dye fabrics. And so Lydia was a, a business leader in Thyatira. But Thyatira is known for this. A lot of industry happening in Thyatira. It was right on a major roadway between major cities, and so business was happening there. And the way business was done in Thyatira is that there were these things called guilds. They were kind of like like labor unions in our day. And so if you were a carpenter or a mason or a fabric producer, like Lydia was, you would belong to a guild. And through that guild, you would get hired. You would gain access to business. But in Thyatira, guilds also were a little bit like fraternity and sorority houses. Like you didn't just pay your dues and now you were in. You actually had to go and socialize and be a part of the gatherings and the parties if you wanted to be a part of the group. And so what would happen at these gatherings is there would be a lot of immoral immoral things happening. There would be sexual activity happening. There would be idol worship and pagan god worship. And then food that was sacrificed to those idols would be consumed. And so Christians were kind of in a bind. If you lived in Thyatira and you were a Christian and you were a business person, what were you to do? Well, this woman, this self-proclaimed prophet, was apparently teaching the followers of Jesus to just go for it. Just participate. Just be a part of it. Most scholars think it was some sort of kind of dualistic, Gnostic teaching about like how anything done in the body and in this world is permissible because like life with God is really just about the spiritual world. He doesn't care what you do with your physical body. Go be immoral. Go do whatever feels good in this world. It's all about your spiritual life. And so if you're a Christian, you have full freedom to just go to these parties and participate in these orgies. That was the teaching. If it feels good, if it feels right, just indulge. It's okay. It must be good. Friends, how times have not changed that much. I mean, isn't this somewhat the philosophy and thinking of our age, of our day, of our society? If it feels good to you, then it must be good and right for you. If it feels good for you, it must be good and right for you. If it feels good, don't resist it. Embrace it. Or or the counter, if it feels hard, if it feels uncomfortable, if it feels like in conflict with what you want, if it requires sacrifice from you, then don't let people put that on you. But here's the message of Jesus. That's the message of our world. Quite often, and yet here's the message of Jesus. Just think for a minute how different Jesus' message is from the message of Thyatira or America or Portlandia. Is it an accident that they all rhyme? Here's Jesus' message. Deny yourself. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and 
follow me. Deny yourself. Not what I think I want, but what God wants for me. Not what feels good, but what is good. Not the path of least resistance, but the path of righteousness, even when that path is narrow and filled with trouble. This is the message of Jesus. Come follow me. Deny yourself. Come follow me and walk the narrow path. Come follow me and live differently than this world will tell you to live. Verse 21, Jesus says, I have given her, this is this Woman called Jezebel. I have given her time to repent of her her immorality, but she is unwilling. Friends, what we hear here in this verse is the heart, I believe, the very core of what Jesus is saying to this church. He's talking here about the thing he has against them, and it's this, an unwillingness to repent. An unwillingness to metanao, that's the Greek word for repent. It's a word that means to change your mind, to change your thinking, to change your perspective, and then in turn to change your life. Metanao is is to turn away from something that does not honor the Lord and to turn towards a life of pursuing Jesus. To turn away from something that does not honor the Lord. Even if it feels good. Go back with me to verse 20. He says to the church, you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. You tolerate. She's leading you into sinful lives, into sinful living. But you tolerate it. You're just tolerant of these sinful practices in your church. Instead of turning, friends, this church has decided to tolerate And they've become comfortable, just comfortable with lives of sin. They've become complacent about immorality in their lives and in their midst. God has given them time to repent. He's offered them truth and he's given them time. He understands that it's a struggle. It's not an instantaneous thing sometimes. He's given them time. He's displaying patience. But they just keep walking in the same direction. And so here's the question that this letter demands that we as a church ask ourselves. Because again, this is not just a letter to them, it's a letter to us. Is there sin in our lives we have grown to tolerate? Is there sin in our lives that we're tolerating? Are we walking, are we living in a way that does not align with the way of Jesus? And if we, we, have we become so comfortable with it that we are unwilling to turn from it? It's just how it is. It's just life here in Portland, and so I just keep walking. And it actually didn't feel so bad. Sometimes, most of the time, it even feels pretty good. Let me, let me give us three areas here where I think we are tempted to just keep walking in the same direction. And, and here's where this message gets prophetic for us. Here's where I hope, I hope, you f- start to feel uncomfortable. Because that's the goal of Revelation. So again, if you don't feel uncomfortable, it's not doing its job and maybe I'm not doing mine. I'm uncomfortable with all three of these, just so you know. 
Three areas where we're tempted to tolerate sin and continue to walk in the same direction, I think. One, sexually, just, just like in Thyatira. Have we become tolerant of sin sexually? Do we just justify certain practices, justify certain behaviors, certain thoughts, certain shows, certain internet sites? Have we settled for less than what God wants for us in our singleness? Have we settled for less than what God wants for us in our marriages? Just because it's hard. Is it hard to stay pure? Is it hard to give yourself to your spouse? Are we walking in the direction of Jesus, the direction he would want us to walk in, in our sexual lives? Or are there some places where we need to turn, turn around? There's a lot of pressure in this world. I don't know if you've noticed it sexually. It's everywhere. You get teenage kids, you'll see it all the time. There's this pressure to behave a certain way and engage a certain way and think a certain way and speak a certain way and act a certain way and live a certain way sexually. The question is, are those ways honoring to Jesus? And I believe God is saying, church, repent, not world. Remember who this letter is written to. Don't sit here and judge the world. This letter is written to the church. He's saying you are the ones who are supposed to be followers of Christ. You are the ones who have been redeemed and forgiven by the blood of the Lamb. You are my people. Are you walking in a way that's consistent with that? Do not, he says, as my followers get sucked into compromising and tolerating sin in this area of your life. Deny yourself. Number one, sexually. Number two, racially. This one is wildly unpopular. Fastest way to shrink your church. Talk about racism from the pulpit too much. Here's why. Here's why. It makes us uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable. I went to the movies with my wife this week, saw a movie about the slave trade, and I just... I just I didn't like it. It makes me feel icky. As a white man, I feel a little bit guilty and kind of ashamed of what we as a nation have done. Right? I'd rather just ignore it or justify it or push it aside. And yet, time and again, the scriptures call us to be a people united as like one race. Right? Right? To be people of reconciliation, to be people who are willing because of the grace of God and his Holy Spirit in us, people who are willing to walk into those hard, uncomfortable places and do the work of reconciliation, reconciliation with God and with others, right? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Not pride, not defensiveness, deny yourself. Walk in the shoes of another, see it from their perspective. Work for unity in the church. Number three, sexually, racially, materially. We have so much stuff. Nice houses, nice cars, nice clothes, nice shoes. And no, I didn't wear my new lifestyle shoes for this message today. Um, on purpose. 
I thought about it, though, just to kind of taunt you. Um, We take elaborate vacations. We drink not cheap wine, some of us. Outrageously expensive coffee. That's a whole sermon (laughs) just for the millennials. I'll give that to the young adult group. Sorry, millennials. Some of us have toys. Listen to this. Let's hear me. Just I know, I know, I don't... You're like, are you guilting me and shaming me, Master Dave? No, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to pull the veil back a little here because the scriptures are doing it and, I, and it's pulling it back on me too. Some of us have toys that if we were to total their cost, it would be more than what an average person makes in a year in this country. In this country, not in the world, in this country. Just our toys. And yet, we follow a rabbi who we're told had nowhere to lay his head. He had no, think about that for a minute. He had nowhere to lay his head. We follow a Jesus who said, I have come to preach good news to the poor. Have we crossed the line a little? Have we just become comfortable just walking in our materialism? And God's like, turn around, repent, walk the narrow path, do it a different way. And we're like, oh, this feels pretty good, Jesus. Deny yourself. Verse 22. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering. This is, again, he's speaking of this this prophet. This woman, I will cast her on a bed of suffering and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Told you this was going to be a fun one. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. This is Jesus saying like, if you're going to follow this woman, her teaching, the path she's laid out, It is going to lead to death for you. Do you see the play on words, by the way? way, Jezebel, she promotes this bed of immorality. And Jesus Jesus says, she's offering a bed of immorality, but I'm going to offer her a bed of suffering. If you want to walk with her into her bed, then guess what? You can have my bed as well. And this leads to the question, like, God seems, I mean, does Jesus seem like really intense here? He does, right? To you, are you missing it? Are you catching how intense he is? Why? Why is he so intense? Why is he so upset? Here's what he's saying. There's significant consequences for being unwilling to turn from sin in your lives. And then we have to notice this. He's so upset because this letter is not just written again to the world. It's written to his church. He's so upset because this, these are his people, his family, his bride. Friends, let me tell you something that is true. Jesus is writing to his baby, right? His church, his baby. This is some really insightful stuff from a theologian named Michael Bolton. When a man loves a woman, can't keep his mind on nothing else. He tread the world for the good thing he'd found. And I like to sing because it makes you feel a little bit awkward. But then all of a sudden, everyone is paying attention again. Right? Like, this is weird. Is he going to keep singing? Should I sing a few more verses? Rob, come join me. Let's just do it together. No, I'm just kidding. All right. 
Friends, there is a reason that we are called the bride of Christ. It's, this, it's expressing that this, this truth that Jesus loves and cares for and will fight to protect her. And I think he's some like macho overprotective husband, but, but kind of. Jesus is so upset in this passage because he takes his church very seriously. It's not just a game. It's not just a gathering. It's not just something to fill your calendar on, some, on Sunday morning. There are significant and eternal spiritual realities that we are a part of. Pull the veil back. Do we, as followers of Jesus, take the fact that we are the church, his bride, seriously? If there was one thing that maybe Jesus would say to us in the 21st century American church, I think it's this. You're just too flippant about church and about being the church. Should I go to church today? Well, maybe if it works, if I feel like it. I had a friend in Ventura who used to, didn't go to church very often, and he would just say to me on occasion, like, I go to church every Sunday unless it's sunny, unless there's good surf, unless it's raining and it's hard to get out, unless it's snowed and there's good snow in the mountains and I can go skiing. But other than that, I go to church every Sunday. That's like every Sunday. That's like every Sunday in Ventura, right? And he was just sort of, he was sort of making light of the fact that he didn't need to go to church, right? Didn't need church, didn't need to take it seriously at all. Should I give to the church? Should I serve in the church? Well, if it works out, if it's convenient, if it doesn't cramp my lifestyle at all, deny yourself. Why does Jesus care so much? It's, he cares so much because it's his church, his bride. Here's the second point on this. It says in verse 24, Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. And so he's saying, there's some of you who have not followed down this path. Some of you are holding on, right? You haven't compromised. You're not tolerating sin. You're fighting the good fight. Good job. But then he says, some of you have like bought into like Satan. Think about this language. Satan's deep secrets. What's the message here? Here's the message, friends. You think you're just tolerating a little sin. You think there's just a little poop in your truffle. The reality is Satan wants to use that sin to destroy your life. You think I'm being hyperbolic. You think Jesus is. He's not. I have a little dog in my house. Like He's my favorite dog I ever had. He recently posed for a Thanksgiving picture to be like he's going to be in the catalog probably. Isn't he cute? That's Fred, Freddie. And that's a funny name for a dog. We didn't name him, but I'd still like it. Fred. Isn't Fred adorable? That's his Thanksgiving scarf just for you guys. Right? Like he's going to be in like Dogs Are Us magazine this week. No, he's not. But here's what Fred, here, here, one of the things I love about Fred is Fred loves cheese. And I love cheese. So does Fred. We have this love for cheese together. Anytime I get into the cheese drawer, he knows. He's like, whoop, dad's in the cheese drawer. And he just comes running and he just looks at me like, come on, dad, share a little. Share a little with your favorite pup. And I'm like, and I can't resist. But I've taught him this thing where I can like put the cheese on the ground. I tell him to stay. He'll stay. I can get him to sit, lay down. He even like shakes hands with both paws. Like pretty awesome. But he'll stay and I can go sit on the couch and just, he'll just sit there looking at me and wait. He will stay. He will not even move to the cheese until you say, go get it. And then he's boom, right there, right? 
He is such a good stayer. Sin is not a good stayer. You think you've got control of sin in your life. You think it's going to stay put. You think it's not going to keep moving forward. But that is a lie. It is going to continue to move forward in and through your life because its only goal is to destroy you. To destroy this life that God wants you to have with him in Christ. This life of peace and joy and wholeness and fullness and satisfaction. You think it's just a little sin, but it it wants to move you towards a life that's kind of completely overwhelmed with Satan. And I know like we're like, oh, isn't this 21st century America? We're talking about Satan today? Friends, that can, you can talk to some people whose lives have been destroyed by Satan and sin and evil that just slowly but surely took over their souls. Jesus is so upset because he does not want that happening to his kids. Where in your life are you tolerating sin these days? And then the last question, where's the solution found? We're getting close to the end here. Verse 26. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, there's a lot in here. I wanna, I'm going to have to pick my spots because we're getting low on time. But there's this, again, this veil that's pulled back. Don't just live for now. Live for eternity. Live for what God has for you in eternity. The authority and the privilege and the responsibility that he has for you for eternity if you walk faithfully with him. And then he also says this in verse 28. This is my favorite verse of this last section. I will also give that one, this is the faithful ones, the ones who aren't just complicit with sin and comfortable to walk in the ways of this world. I will also give that one the morning star. What's that morning? What's the morning star? We know what it is from Revelation 22. In Revelation 22, Jesus says this, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, and the bright morning star. The morning star is Jesus himself. John is telling the church to hold on to the king and his kingdom. That you can have life with Christ, that you can have Christ himself in your life. If you're faithful, you will get Jesus himself. Friends, here's the solution to this big problem. Like here's not here's, here's what the solution is not. The solution is not going home and thinking, man, I really have been tolerating like the wrong shows, and so I'm going to do all this work on my own to try and be a better person. I'm going to be better. Pastor Dave wants me to be better. I'm going to be better. Like, okay, that's all, that's all right. I mean, good luck. I'm pretty sure you'll be back to your same old routine in three weeks. This is why New Year's resolutions never work. Because if we had that much willpower, we would have already changed, Right? The solution here is not do your best to turn away from sin. Here's the solution. The power of what we turn to must be greater than what we turn from. The power of what we turn to must be greater than what we turn from. You see, friends, that thing that you need to turn from, maybe in your mind, maybe it's like ringing in your mind. When I say, where are you tolerating sin in your life? There's something, there's something going on. The Holy Spirit is bringing something to your mind. You're trying to push it out. Maybe you're trying to justify it, but it's there. That thing, that attitude, that habit, that feeling that you nurse, 
that thinking that you indulge, that perspective or pattern in your life that is leading you away from God, that thing is filling you. It's satisfying you. and so It's satisfying something in your life. It's filling a need in you. Friends, Taco Bell can fill you. It may not be healthy, but it'll fill you, right? That thing is filling you. Here's the good news. Here's the gospel. Here's the good news that Jesus has for you. He offers something more satisfying. He is that something that is more satisfying, that something that's more nutritious for your soul than the junk food that this world is offering you. You see, repentance doesn't just say turn from sin. Repentance says, don't just turn from pornography. Fill your life with the joy of making your body a living sacrifice to Jesus. Don't just turn from materialism. Fill your soul with the pleasure of worshiping the God of heaven and earth. Don't just turn from prejudice and pride, but discover the peace, the confident humility of being a child of God. It's not, you can't just take something out of your life and not fill it with something better. Jesus says, I am that something better. This is why when Jesus came to earth, you know what his main message was? His main message was go to church, pray the sinner's prayer, and get to heaven someday. Was that it? Did he ever say that? Here's what he said. This is Matthew chapter 4. This is like the very beginning of his ministry. This is like the declaration of his ministry. Ready? From that time on, Jesus began to preach. What's he preaching now? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Turn away from sin. Turn away from walking in the ways of this world. Turn away from filling your life with the junk food that this life is going to offer you. Turn away from that and what? Turn to what? Repent for what? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is near. You can have the kingdom of heaven. Don't live for this broke down, corroding, corrupt world that we live in. Don't settle for that junk food. Feast your life and fill your soul on the things of God. See, when you do that, once you've had this, you never want this again. Once you've experienced the peace of living a life of purity with God and, and like, like doing life sexually the way God wants you to do, and once you understand the peace and the way you sleep good and the way you don't have guilt and shame, I mean, once you've experienced that, you don't want this anymore. No way. I'm not going back to that. Friends, the solution to sin, whatever it is, is turning to the way of Jesus and his kingdom and the fullness of life in him. This is not just don't do bad stuff. This is fill your life with Jesus so you won't have room in your life for that bad stuff. We're celebrating what really satisfies us. You see, that's why we take this meal. We're going to share the Lord's Supper now. It's not just a religious activity. It's not just a little cup of juice and a little wafer, right? Not just something where you say, oh yeah, Jesus forgave my sins. This is an opportunity to realign our lives with him. This is an opportunity to repent, to turn away from the things in this world that have kind of pulled us in and have kind of led us down the wrong path and to say, no, I'm turning around again because repentance is a lifestyle for a Christian. 
right? I'm walking with Jesus, I'm walking with Jesus, but man, this looks pretty good. And then you come to church and you hear the gospel again, and then we have the Lord's Supper, and we're reminded of his great love for us, for his, we're reminded of his death for us, and his resurrection, and that we can have life everlasting, and the veil is pulled back, and we go, I, I, I gotta walk a different way. I gotta walk away from that. I gotta walk back with Jesus. That's what this meal is. It's a chance to turn. It's a chance to say, I don't wanna tolerate anymore. That's what we're gonna do. When we share this meal together, we're going to say, because of his great love and mercy and grace in our lives, we repent from walking in the ways of this world to walk as his sons and his daughters. So take a minute. Think for a second. Where in my life am I tolerating sin? Am I willing to turn? Am I willing to turn away and to turn towards something new? And as you think about that, come to the tables, grab your elements, take them back to your seat. We're going to receive them together in just a minute. So have this time to think, to come to the tables. We'll share in just a minute. All right, you're dismissed.